I'd like to welcome everybody to the Hebraic Heritage Ministries Yeshiva Discipleship Program. We are currently doing a study on the biblical festivals, and we are on the Feast of Shavuot, or the Feast of Pentecost. This is going to be the second teaching on the Feast of Shavuot, or Pentecost. In this session, we are going to learn that Yeshua gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. This is going to be the primary lesson which we're going to learn from this study. In order to understand how Yeshua gave the Torah at Mount Sinai, we need to understand that Israel and the Messiah and the Torah are all one. You cannot separate the Messiah from Israel, the Messiah from Torah, Torah from Israel, or any of these things. They're all connected and interrelated to each other. What we have done in traditional Christianity is we have separated the Messiah from being associated and connected intimately with the nation of Israel, and we have disconnected the Messiah from the Torah. In realizing that the Messiah, Torah, and the nation of Israel are all one, we need to realize that in Exodus chapter 19, verse 3, that this oneness relationship is associated with the literal house of Jacob. And then in Luke chapter 1, verse 33, this relationship is associated and connected with the redeemed house of Jacob. Therefore, Messiah originally gave the Torah to the literal house of Jacob at Mount Sinai. He renewed the covenant with the redeemed house of Jacob in addition to those from the literal house of Jacob who broke the covenant and then accept their forgiveness of their sins through Messiah, they can be a part of not only the literal house of Jacob, but in accepting Yeshua as the Messiah, they also become members of the redeemed house of Jacob. The redeemed house of Jacob and the renewed covenant is also a Torah-based covenant. It's the Torah written upon our hearts. So whether we're talking about the literal house of Jacob or the redeemed house of Jacob, Messiah, Torah, and the house of Jacob are all one with each other. In order to understand this better, how Israel, the Torah, and the Messiah are all associated and connected with each other and that they are all one, we're going to see this by looking at and doing a detailed Hebraic study on the first word of the Bible, which is Breshit. And in doing so, we're going to understand the purpose of creation. With the first word of the Bible, and Hebrew is Breshit, if you would look at it in a Torah scroll, the first letter of the word breshit is a bet and the bet is enlarged in a torah scroll the first question that gets asked is why is it that this bet is enlarged in the word breshit well bet in hebrew means a house bet or bait means a house the reason why the god of israel created the heavens and the earth is because he wanted a house in the earth or he wanted a dwelling place among mortals. If we look at the first two letters of Breshit, it spells bar. Bar means sun. If we take the first two letters of Breshit and the last two letters of Breshit, the first two letters is the bet and the resh, the last two letters are Yod and Tav, and put these four letters together, we come up with the Hebrew word Brit, which means covenant. Next, if we separate the Bet from the rest of the first word in the Bible, Breshit, 
we have the word reshit. And reshit in Hebrew means first or the beginning. If we separate, once again, bet from reshit and look at this construct in Hebrew, we could render bet plus reshit. We could render it to mean or interpreted to say for the beginning or as it would make sense to say in English for the sake of the beginning. And in Genesis Midrash Rabbah 1.4 and also Rashi's commentary, he makes this point that actually by doing this, what is being communicated here is that the God of Israel is creating the heavens and the earth for the sake of the beginning. In looking at the Torah, in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, then Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1, verse 13, and verse 18, the Torah is called wisdom. Let's see how this is so. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1, My son, if you will receive my words and hide my commandments with you, so that you incline your ear unto wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, receive my words, hide my commandments, incline your ear to wisdom. So wisdom is referred to as the words of the God of Israel, his commandments. And incline your ear, what do you do when you incline your ear? You shema, you hear, you obey, you do. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1, My son, forget not my Torah, but let your heart keep my commandments. The subject is the Torah or the commandments of the God of Israel. And what does it say about the Torah, the commandments? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13, Happy is the man that finds wisdom, that is Torah in keeping the commandments, and the man that gets understanding. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 18. She, what is? Wisdom. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retains her. Well, the Torah is wisdom. So the Torah is a tree of life. Wisdom is a tree of life. The Torah ends in A-H, which is feminine in Hebrew, and the word for wisdom in Hebrew is Hakmah, which ends in A-H, which is also feminine. Both Torah and wisdom in Hebrew is a feminine word, so she is a tree of life. We are told in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19, that wisdom created the world. If the Torah is wisdom, then the Torah created the world. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19, it says, The Lord, by wisdom, has founded the earth. By understanding... Has he established the heavens? What we're doing now is we're seeing how Yeshua, the Torah, and Israel are all one. We just looked at and saw from Proverbs how the Torah is called wisdom. Now we're going to see how Yeshua is called wisdom. If the Torah is wisdom and if Yeshua is wisdom, then they are one. You cannot separate them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Messiah, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Messiah, the wisdom of God. So Messiah is the Word of God. Messiah is the living Torah. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. In Psalm chapter 33, verse 6, we are told that the heavens and earth were created by the word of the God of Israel, by the word of Yahweh. In Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breadth of his mouth. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. It is the Heavenly Father who willed the creation 
but the one who spoke the creation into existence by doing the will of the Father is Yeshua, the Messiah. And he spoke by or using the wisdom of the God of Israel, which is a reference to the Torah. The rabbis actually teach that the way the heavens and the earth were created is that Yahweh looked into the Torah and created the world. Therefore, Torah or wisdom, who is Yeshua, created the world. They are all synonymous with each other. The Torah existed before the creation of the world. Why? Yeshua is the living Torah. He has been from everlasting. Since Yahweh has always existed, His Word has always existed, which means His Torah has always existed. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 and 23. The Lord possessed me, this is wisdom speaking, or the Torah here in Proverbs is personified as wisdom. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of His way, before his works of old, which is a reference to the creation of the heavens and the earth. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning or ever the earth was. Wisdom was set up from everlasting, or this is the Torah being personified as wisdom. So Torah was set up, or Torah existed from the beginning, or from the time of the creation of the heavens and the earth. Israel is called the beginning. Looking at Breshit, separating the Bet from the Resh, means for the sake of the beginning. So why was the world created? It was created for the sake of the beginning. Who is called the beginning? We're going to see here that the Messiah is called the beginning. The Torah is called the beginning. Israel is called the beginning. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 3. Israel was holiness under the Lord and the first fruits of his increase. The word first fruits is the Strong's number 7225. It's the Hebrew word reshit. So Israel is reshit. Israel is the first or the beginning or the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, says the Lord. Israel is called the beginning. Now we're going to see how the Torah is called the Reshit, or the beginning. Once again, in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22 and 23, the Lord possessed me, that is wisdom, and here the Torah is personified as wisdom. The Lord possessed me wisdom in the beginning, that is the word Reshit. So wisdom is called the beginning, or Torah is called the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, that is a reference to the creation of the heavens and the earth. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. Yeshua is called the Reshit, or the beginning. And by understanding what the Hebrew says, or the teaching of the Hebrew of Genesis 1-1, specifically the word Reshit, this is what John is referring to when he begins his book of the scripture in John 1 1 when he says in the beginning and I can read that Hebraically Breshit or Reshit Reshit was the word Reshit the beginning is the word and this word which is the beginning was with God and this word the beginning was God it is Yeshua the Messiah the same was in the beginning with God Yeshua is one with his heavenly father 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23. But every man in his own order, Messiah the firstfruits, afterward they that are Messiahs at his coming. Once again now, why did the God of Israel create the heavens and the earth? He did it for the sake of the beginning. And who is called the beginning? It is Israel, Torah, and the Messiah. Putting the way we can construct the word Breshit and putting these thoughts together, the reason why the God of Israel created the heavens and the earth is he wanted to have a dwelling place in the earth or he wanted to build a house for his son. When is going to be the fullness of this completed house for his son that his son is going to be dwelling in the earth? We call it the Messianic Era. And what happens during the Messianic Era? In Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3, the Torah will be taught by Yeshua the Messiah from Jerusalem. He's dwelling in the earth. 
His son is dwelling in the earth, teaching the Torah, the purpose of creation. The God of Israel wanted to build a house for his son, and he was going to do this by making a covenant for or with the beginning. Once again, because the covenant was made for or with the beginning, the Messiah is going to make a covenant with the nation of Israel, and this covenant is going to be made with or on the behalf of the Torah. And so the God of Israel begins to do this, to make this covenant with the nation of Israel, and the covenant is being made with the giving of the Torah to the nation of Israel for their possession when he first calls Abraham and he tells Abraham that the covenant that's being made with you is going to be made with your seed. It is on behalf of this promise that the nation of Israel comes to Mount Sinai where this event takes place. And at Mount Sinai, that which is called the beginning, Israel, Torah, and the Messiah, are going to enter into covenant and be in covenant relationship with each other. Therefore, from these things, we can see that Israel, the Torah, and the Messiah are all one with each other. The Torah is the will of Yahweh. In Psalm chapter 40, verse 8, it says, I delight to do your will. You know, often in traditional Christianity, we wonder, how do we do the will of the God of Israel? How do I know when I'm living my life that I'm doing His will? Because we want to do His will. Well, you do His will when you obey His commandments or follow the Torah. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God, yea, your Torah is within my heart. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Yeshua was asked, how do we pray? And he responds and says, after this manner pray, our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. What is his kingdom? That his kingdom is his rule and his reign in the earth. And this is referring to the messianic era. It is a prayer for the messianic era. Because what happens in the messianic era when your kingdom comes? Your will will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Because it's during the messianic era when the kingdom is here that Messiah will be teaching the Torah to all nations from Jerusalem and his will is going to be done in the earth. This is the purpose of creation. The Torah and Messiah, who are one, which existed before the creation of the world, the God of Israel looked into the Torah, created the world. It was done by the Word of Yahweh, who is the Messiah. And the world was created so that the will of the God of Israel could be manifested in the earth. So this will is given to His chosen people, the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai, and it's done so by the Messiah. Let's look at another aspect in understanding how we can see that Messiah is not only in covenant relationship with the literal house of Jacob, but he's in covenant relationship with the redeemed house of Jacob as well. How is Messiah in covenant relationship with the literal house of Jacob? Because he gave the Torah to the literal house of Jacob at Mount Sinai. The literal house of Jacob is likened unto an olive tree. In Jeremiah chapter 11, verses 16 and 17, it is written, the Lord called your name a green olive tree. Now look who's called a olive tree. Fair and of goodly fruit with the noise of a great tumult. He has kindled fire upon it and the branches of it are broken. The branches of an olive tree are broken. Who's this olive tree? Jeremiah 11 verse 17. For the Lord of hosts that planted you has pronounced evil against you for the evil of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So the house of Israel and the house of Judah, the two houses of Israel, are called an olive tree. And we're told that these two houses, who are an olive tree, their branches are broken. How are these broken branches going to get mended? It is through the redemptive work of the Messiah. And that's what Paul explains, how the broken branches of two houses of Israel, how they get repaired, redeemed, restored, 
in Romans, in chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul explains this. In looking at the olive tree from Jeremiah 11, verses 16 and 17, we now see that the literal house of Jacob, which consists of the literal house of Israel and the literal house of Judah, they are likened unto an olive tree. This natural olive tree, or the literal house of Jacob, are the people who are at Mount Sinai that the Messiah makes covenant with and gives the Torah unto. Exodus chapter 19, verse 3. Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Who was there at Mount Sinai? Well, it's traditionally in our religious minds that the ones who were there at Mount Sinai were in what we call in our religious minds the Jewish people. And what we need to understand is who was there are the literal descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from which the Jewish people come. And also we are told in Exodus chapter 12 verses 37 and 38 that a mixed multitude came out of Egypt with the literal and physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. And a mixed multitude went up also with them in flocks and herds and very much cattle. So who's the house of Jacob? At Mount Sinai, they consist of the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the mixed multitude. Well, how do these mixed multitude, who are not physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how is this mixed multitude also called the house of Jacob? That is because they were the whosoevers that the God of Israel invites to be a part of his covenant when he offers redemption to his people, he at the same time when he offers redemption to his people, he makes it available to everyone on the earth who are classified as whosoevers. So the mixed multitude are strangers, sojourners. They were adopted or they were grafted in. Now we need to also realize that the name of the redeemed covenant family in Messiah is also the house of Jacob. But in Messiah, all those who accept him as Messiah, they're his redeemed family. And who are those people on the earth who accept Yeshua as the Messiah? Jew and non-Jew. Here, the name of his family is called the house of Jacob. Or, we need to understand it as the redeemed house of Jacob. Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he, that is the Messiah, shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. This is the redeemed house of Jacob. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The redeemed house of Jacob in Romans 11 is likewise likened unto an olive tree. And in Romans chapter 11, this olive tree, and the olive tree is called Israel. Israel is called the olive tree. They consist of wild branches and natural branches that are broken. Who are these natural branches that are broken? We saw earlier in Jeremiah 11, verses 16 and 17, it's the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In looking at Romans chapter 11, we see that both the wild branches and the natural branches, we're told that when they accept Yeshua as the Messiah, we're told that both of them are grafted in. And the name for this grafting process, the word that is in English that refers to a grafting of a stock, it is spelled in English S-C-I-O-N, a sion is the word in English that means a grafted stock. We could also render this, and we could also pronounce it as Zion. Zion. The Zion that the God of Israel is redeeming, his people, they are a grafted people that consist of wild branches and natural branches. 
In Romans 11:17, we're told how the wild branches are grafted into the olive tree, which means they're grafted into the covenant, the renewed covenant that was made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Romans 11:17. If some of the branches are broken off and you being a wild olive tree was grafted in among them and with them, you partake. If you partake, then you are of the family. If you partake, you live according to the rules and regulations of the family. That is specified by the father of the family, who is the God of Israel, communicated through the Messiah. You partake of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. A Romans chapter 11 verse 24. But if you were cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature, and you were grafted in contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these which be the natural branches, notice the natural branches when they believe, they are grafted into their own olive tree. So both the wild branches and the natural branches are grafted into this redeemed olive tree in Yeshua the Messiah. The renewed covenant was made only with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31 says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. And if you look that up in Hebrew, it actually means renewed covenant. I will make a renewed covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Why is it renewed? Because the original was made at Mount Sinai and it was broken. And so he's got to renew it. And in renewing it, it's still got to be a Torah-based covenant. But it says in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, that he's got to, in the renewed covenant, put his Holy Spirit within us and cause us or help us to keep the commandments of the God of Israel and have a heart for keeping his commandments because with the renewed covenant, he gives a heart of flesh, a soft heart, unto his people rather than a stony heart. Now in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8, I want you to notice very carefully the verse says, for finding fault with them. It does not say he found fault with the covenant, which is really how it's taught in traditional Christianity. He did away with the old because that was a bad covenant. There was something wrong with the covenant, so he had to bring in a renewed covenant. Well, the problem wasn't with the covenant. The problem is with the hearts of the people. Finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new or a renewed covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Notice then that the olive tree of Romans 11, it is a redeemed people in Messiah. It's a redeemed house of Jacob that also is likened unto an olive tree. This is an olive tree where those who are members are grafted in, and it consists of the redeemed house of Israel, the redeemed house of Judah. Just like historically, when the God of Israel redeemed his people from Egypt, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, all, and the whosoever's that put the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost could join in, that is exactly the same in the renewed covenant, that all the whosoever's that want to be a part of this renewed covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah are able to be partakers of this renewed covenant and thus they will be following the same rules and regulations, the same commandments that the God of Israel makes with the people who are in covenant relationship with him. We need to realize also that the church was born at Mount Sinai. In going to church in traditional Christianity from the time I was a little boy, they taught me that the church was born in Acts chapter 2. Actually, it was not born in Acts chapter 2. It was reborn in Acts chapter 2. It was originally born at Mount Sinai. How do we understand this? Well, in Acts chapter 7, verse 36 and verse 38, it speaks about the church being in the wilderness, referring to Mount Sinai. So the church, which means a called-out assembly of people, is the meaning of the word. This called-out assembly of people is in the wilderness at Mount Sinai, and this is who the God of Israel, that is the Messiah, uh, makes covenant with. And this is who he gives the Torah unto. Acts seven thirty-six and 38. He brought them out 
After that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles, that is the Torah, to give unto us. In looking at Acts chapter 7 verse 38 where it is rendered the church in the wilderness the Strong's number is 1,577. It is the Greek word ekklesia. And ekklesia means a called out assembly. And if you look up the definition in the concordance, it will tell you that the definition could be referring to an assembly of Israelites, referring back to the time in the wilderness, and to use the terms that we use in, in our world, an assembly of Christians, that is, believers in Yeshua as the Messiah. So whether it's referring back to the time in the wilderness, that is the literal house of Jacob, or the believers in the Messiah, the redeemed house of Jacob, this word ecclesia can refer to either one, because it just means they call it out assembly. And looking at this definition in a fairs, Greek lexicon of the New Testament that is coded to the Strong's, it will give you in the definition of ecclesia, which is church, it will tell you it corresponds to the Hebrew kahal. And it says in the Septuagint, which is the Hebrew scriptures that was translated into Greek, where in the Hebrew you have the word kahal, it was translated in the Septuagint, as being ecclesia. Now what we're going to do, with that being the case, we're going to look at three examples in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 10, Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 4, and Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 16, where we're told that the event that happens at Mount Sinai, it is called in the King James translation, the day of the assembly, but the word assembly is kahal, and the word kahal is equivalent to ecclesia, which we render ecclesia into the English as church. So this could be translated in Deuteronomy as the day of the ecclesia, if we're referring to and speaking and translating it into Greek, or we could say the day of the church. Why did the King James use the softer translation and rendition and use the word assembly rather than church? Why did they use the softer word? Because if you explicitly say church, that is going to throw into traditional Christian theology because we traditionally think of church as New Testament. If we translate the word as church in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew Scriptures, then that brings up all types of theological questions which they wanted to steer away from and being able to answer of the questions that people could have concerning that. And so they just rendered it, instead of the day of the church, they rendered it the day of the assembly. But the word kahal means an assembly. It can mean a congregation. It means an organized body of people. So let's see, linking the word church in English, which is in Greek, ekklesia, and Hebrew is kahal. Let's see where the word kahal appears in the Tanakh or the Hebrew scriptures. To begin with, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 35 and verses 10 and 11, which says, And God said unto him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations, is what the King James says, a nation and a company of nations shall be of you, and kings shall come out of your loins. The word company is the Hebrew word kahal, which is equivalent to ecclesia, which is equivalent to church. So therefore it's said of Jacob that a church of nations, an assembly of nations, a congregation of nations shall be of you. The Torah was given to the kahal in the wilderness. Acts chapter 7 verse 38 once again refers to as the church in the wilderness. So where do we see in the Torah that the people in the wilderness are referred to as the church in the wilderness, the kahal in the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 10. 
And the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone, written with the finger of God, and on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount, out of the midst of the fire, in the day of the assembly, in the day of the kahal, or we could say in the day of the church. So the event at Mount Sinai is the day of the church, the birth of the nation of Israel as a covenant corporate people called the house of Jacob. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 4. And he wrote on the tables according to the first writing the ten commandments which the Lord spake unto you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them unto me the day of the kahal the day of the ecclesia, the day of the church. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 16. According to all that you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb, that is Mount Sinai, in the day of the assembly, the day of the kahal, the day of the ecclesia, the day of the church, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. Therefore, we have seen now that the house of Jacob, called the Kahal, or in Greek, Ecclesia, called the church, they are born at Mount Sinai. But they broke the covenant, ultimately. And in breaking the covenant, the God of Israel is going to renew the covenant. And the renewed covenant is the Holy Spirit indwelling his people, causing them to keep his commandments and statutes, Ezekiel 33. Verses 26 and 27. So, therefore, the church or the kahal is reborn in Acts chapter 2 and according to Jeremiah 31 31 and Hebrews in chapter 8. This is the Torah written upon our hearts. Now we want to see this connection with Yeshua to giving the Torah at Mount Sinai. So far, we have shown that Israel, Torah, and the Messiah are one, that there's a literal house of Jacob, there's a redeemed house of Jacob. The literal house of Jacob was born at Mount Sinai, and they are reborn as the redeemed house of Jacob in Acts and chapter 2. Through the prophecy of the Torah written upon our hearts, Jeremiah 31, 31, and Hebrews in chapter 8, as prophesied in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. Now let's look how Yeshua is related and associated with the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. In order to paint this picture, we're going to see how it is actually Yeshua who makes a covenant with Abraham. Let's see how this is so. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 and verse 3. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of your country, and from your kindred, and from your father's house, unto a land that I will show you. And I will bless them that bless you, and curse him that curses you, and in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. So it said unto Abram, that in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now if we look at Psalm 72, verses 1 and 2 and verse 17, we are going to be told here that all men are going to be blessed in the king's son. Give the king your judgments, O God, in your righteousness unto the king's son. Who's the king? We call that Yahweh the Father. Who's his son, which means he's a faithful servant, obedient to the will of the Father. That is the Messiah. He, that is the king's son, shall judge your people with righteousness. And you're poor with judgment. When's he doing this? During the Messianic era. It says that he's going to judge righteously the people on the earth. His name, Psalm 72 verse 17, his name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. Whose name? The king's son. And men shall be blessed in him. Who? The king's son. And all nations shall call him blessed. All nations are calling who blessed? The king's son. So in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, it is said that all families of the earth will be blessed in Abraham. 
And here in Psalm 72, all nations are being blessed in the king's son. How can that be said? Because they're in covenant with each other. Yeshua makes a covenant with Abraham, as we can further tell in Genesis 17, verse 1. It says, When Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Where you see here Almighty God, that is in the Hebrew, El Shaddai. Now let's look how Yeshua is described in Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. This is speaking about Yeshua. Revelation 1.8. I am Alpha and the Omega. Who's the Alpha and the Omega? Yeshua. The beginning. He's the Reshit. And the ending, says the Lord, the Lord, that is Yahweh, which is, which was, which is to come. And that is how you would render Yahweh. It means to be eternally existent. The one which is, which was, which is to come. So Yeshua, who is Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, he is the Almighty, who is El Shaddai. And El Shaddai is the one that makes a covenant with Abraham. Let's further see this by cross-referencing Genesis chapter 17, verses 7 and 8, and Galatians chapter 3. Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8 says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed, singular, after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto you and to your seed, singular, after you. And I will give unto you and your seed, singular, after you, the land where you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Galatians 3.16 is quoting Genesis 17, verse 7, and Rav Shaol, the Apostle Paul, writes, Now to Abraham and his seed, making mention of what it said in Genesis 17, verse 7, were the promises made. Genesis 17, 7 does not say seeds, as of many, but as of one, and your seed, which is Messiah. Galatians 3.29 If you be Messiahs, then are you Abraham's seed, and an heir according to the promise. That being the case, seeing that it's the Messiah who's making a covenant with Abraham, let's see how the one that's making a covenant with Abraham is described when he's making the covenant in Genesis chapter 15, verse 17. It says, It came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between the pieces. The one that's making the covenant with Abraham, who is the Messiah, when he's making the covenant, he's called a smoking furnace. Now let's see how things are described with the events at Mount Sinai. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 18, it says, And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. So at Mount Sinai, with the presence of the Messiah, he's described as a smoking furnace, the same way he's described in Genesis chapter 15 when he makes a covenant with Abraham. Now let's furthermore make the connection that it is actually Yeshua who is going to be giving the Torah to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai. It was willed to be given by the Father, but the one who actually executed it and performed the will is the Messiah. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, it says, For you will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Who is this speaking about? In Acts chapter 2, verses 27, and then Acts chapter 2, verse 32, we can see that this is referring to Yeshua the Messiah and his resurrection. It says in Acts 2.27, Because you will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. This is quoting Psalm 16, verse 10. Who's the Holy One that would not see corruption? Acts 2.32, This Yeshua has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Yeshua is the King of Israel. In Psalm 89, verse 18, it says, For the Lord is our defense, 
and the Holy One of Israel, that's the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel is our King. Now we're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 47 and 49, where Yeshua is referred to as the King of Israel. John 1, 47, Yeshua saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Yeshua is the Redeemer of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 14, it says, Fear not, you worm Jacob, and you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord, and your Redeemer, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Now let's look at Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, where Yeshua is referred to as the one who redeems his people. Looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Yeshua is the Savior of Israel. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 3. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. The Holy One of Israel is your Savior. Acts chapter 13 verse 23. Of this man's seed has God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Yeshua. Therefore, in looking at these scriptures, we can see that Yeshua is the Holy One of Israel. He's the King of Israel. He's the Redeemer of Israel. He is the Savior of Israel. That being the case, let's look at another name for Yeshua, that is found in Isaiah chapter 47, verse 4. As for our Redeemer, that is Yeshua, Yahweh of hosts, the Lord of hosts, is His name, the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel, our Redeemer, His name is the Lord of hosts. His name is Yahweh of hosts. The way you say hosts in Hebrew is Zavaot. In James chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, cries, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered in the ears of Lord of Sabaot. This is the word in Hebrew, Zavaot, the Lord of hosts, which is a term for Yeshua the Messiah. Therefore, Yeshua is not only the Holy One of Israel, the King of Israel, the Redeemer of Israel, the Savior of Israel. He is also Yahweh of hosts. Given the fact that Yeshua is Yahweh of hosts, now let's look at Isaiah and chapter 5 in verse 24, which says, Because they've cast away the Torah of Yahweh of hosts, they have referring to Mount Sinai. They've cast away the Torah of Yahweh of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Who is the Holy One of Israel and Yahweh of hosts that they cast away his Torah? It's Yeshua the Messiah. And it's referring to the Torah that was made with the house of Jacob at Mount Sinai. Therefore, we can see from this that Yeshua that gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. Let's look at other evidences that Yeshua is the one that gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 1 through 3, it is written, This is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai. So we're looking at the one that's coming from Sinai, who is referred to as Yahweh. Who is Yahweh that's coming from Sinai? How is he described? He rose up from Sire unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran. Now look at this. He came... With ten thousands of saints, from his right hand went a fiery law for them. Yea, he loved the people. All his saints are in your hand, and they sat down at your feet. Everyone shall receive of your words. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2, and pointing out the description of Yahweh that's coming from Sinai, we're going to see that this is referring to the Messiah. Because 
one of the characteristics that we're told is that he came with ten thousands of saints. Well, who's the one that comes with ten thousands of saints? Jude chapter 1 verse 14 says, Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of saints. Who's the Lord that's coming with ten thousands of saints? That's Yeshua at his second coming. Notice he's referred to as Yahweh. Yeshua is Yahweh. He gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. Looking at the characteristic that's mentioned in Deuteronomy 33, verse 3, that Yahweh, that is Yeshua, that came from Sinai, it said of him that they sat down at his feet and everyone shall receive of your words. Sitting down at your feet is a Hebrew idiom for teaching and being taught Torah and their receiving of your words, that is the Torah or the commandments. Now let's cross-reference this with Luke chapter 10 verse 39. It says, She had a sister called Mary which sat at Yeshua's feet and heard his word. Sat at Yeshua's feet and heard his word. This is the same phrase that is mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 3. So the one that comes from Sinai, that is Yeshua, not only is he coming with ten thousands of saints, not only are they sitting at his feet and receiving of his word, but it mentions that the Torah is coming from the right hand. And in Exodus chapter 15 verse 6, it says the right hand is the one that defeated Pharaoh and his armies and drowned them in the sea. It's the right hand, which is the Messiah. Psalm chapter 44 verse 3 says, For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm in the light of your countenance, because you had favor on them. So how did they possess the land? It was through the favor that the Messiah bestowed upon his people, the right hand in your arm. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Yeshua, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. The right hand refers to as power, majesty. Looking at now these characteristics of Deuteronomy chapter 33, it says that the one that came from Sinai comes with ten thousands of his saints. They sat at his feet and received of his word. And from his right hand, what happens? From his right hand, a fiery law for them. So it is Yeshua who is giving the fiery Torah unto his people. He's the one that came from Sinai. He's the one that came with ten thousands of his saints. He's the one that gave it from his right hand, and they sat at his feet and received of his words, because he instructed Moses, go tell the people of Israel. Yeshua is the lawgiver, as we can tell from Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 22, which says, The Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. The one that will save us, who's the one that saves us? The Yeshua the Messiah. The one that will save us is our king. Yeshua is the king of Israel. The one that will save us that is our king, he is also our lawgiver. Now in James chapter 4 verse 12, it says, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you that you judge another? So who's the one that's got to come and judge all the earth? It's the Messiah. So it says, why are you judging one another when there's just one lawgiver who is able to save and able to destroy? Who's the one lawgiver that's able to save? It's the Messiah. And who's the one that's going to sit in judgment over the nations and over his people? Yeshua. He's the one lawgiver that is able to save and able to destroy. So we're explicitly told in the renewed covenant, James 4.12, that Messiah is the lawgiver. Let's look at and understand that Yeshua gave the Torah by looking at Luke in chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, we have an account where Yeshua is tempted by Hasatan, the adversary, the devil. It's very important to understand that it is not the Heavenly Father that Hasatan or the devil is tempting. He is directly tempting Yeshua the Messiah. That being the case, 
Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, And Yeshua, being full of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Look, it's in the wilderness that the children of Israel was led. And why did they go into the wilderness? To be tempted. In other words, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, to see what was in their hearts. So even as Israel is tempted in the wilderness, Messiah is got to be tempted in the wilderness. Why? Because they're one. What happens to Israel happens to the Messiah. What happens to the Messiah happens to Israel. And being 40 days tempted, well, the children of Israel were 40 years in the wilderness. Being 40 days tempted of Hasatan, the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said, All this power will I give you in the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. How did Hasatan have them? Because Adam, when he sinned and fell, he lost his rule and reign in the earth, and it was given unto Hasatan. Messiah's got to come back and take back that which Adam gave away when he sinned in the garden. And so Hasatan says to Yeshua, If you will therefore worship me, all shall be yours. In Luke chapter 4, verse 8, Yeshua answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. Notice he didn't say, Get behind my father. He said, Get behind me. Satan, get behind me. Get behind me, Yeshua. And now he's going to tell him why you get behind Yeshua. Because it's written. Get behind me because it's written. Get behind me because it's written. You shall worship the Lord your God. Yahweh your Elohim. Who is Yeshua calling Yahweh your Elohim? Himself. Get behind me because you shall worship. Get behind me because you shall worship Yahweh your Elohim. And Him only shall you serve. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13 which says, You shall fear the Lord your God, Yahweh your Elohim, and serve Him and shall swear by His name. If we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13 in the Hebrew, we're going to see something that you won't be able to see in the English. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13 starts out by saying, Aleph Tav, Yahweh Elohim. We're told that Yahweh Elohim is Aleph Tav. Who's Aleph Tav? It's the Messiah. So Messiah is the Yahweh Elohim that you are to acknowledge as the King of Israel. Once again, this critical point, Yeshua said, get behind me. He did not say, get behind Yahweh the Father. And he's referring, Yeshua is referring and saying that me is Yahweh your Elohim. He's saying that he is Yahweh. Luke chapter 4 verse 9 through 11. He brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said, If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down from here. For it is written, and he's quoting from Psalms, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. Notice, Hasatan is able to quote scripture, but you know how he quotes scripture? Out of context. And so Yeshua gives the correct context of things. And in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time you dash your feet against a stone. Yeshua answered and said unto him, It is said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Who's being tempted? Yeshua. And so he's referring to himself, the one being tempted, as don't tempt the Lord your God. Don't tempt Yahweh your Elohim. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 16. And you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. And if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 16, once again, it says, Aleph Tav Yahweh Elohim. Now, let's look at Deuteronomy in chapter 6, where we just saw that Yeshua quotes here in uh, verse 13 and verse 16. And let's see the context of what he's quoting, which he has said refers to himself. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 12, Then beware, lest you forget 
the Lord which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So the subject is the one that brought you out of Egypt from the house of bondage. And then the next verse says, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall swear by his name. We just saw from Luke chapter 4 here that Yeshua is referring and quotes the scripture and says that's referring to him. If that scripture is referring to him, which it does, because he's Aleph Tav, who is Yahweh your Elohim, it says in the previous verse, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 12, that he's the one that brought his people out of Egypt. And then it goes on to say in Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. Yeshua is our rock. He's the rock that was with his people in the wilderness. Psalm chapter 78, verse 35, and then verses 40 and 41, it is written, And they remembered that God was their rock, and the high God their redeemer. Look, the one that's their redeemer is also their rock. Remember Yeshua told the parable about build your house upon a sure foundation, upon a rock, and don't let the storms come. And if it's built on a faulty and sandy foundation, it will fall. But build upon the rock, referring to himself. Psalm 78, verses 40 and 41. How often they provoke him, the rock, their redeemer, they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yea, they turned back and they tempted God and limited, look, the Holy One of Israel, who is the Messiah. Well, we're explicitly told in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, that the spiritual rock that was with his people in the wilderness is the Messiah. And they did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Messiah. And looking at the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, which is found in Exodus chapter 20, we can cross-reference Exodus chapter 20 verse 6 with what Yeshua said in John chapter 14 verse 15 and see once again it's Yeshua that's giving the commandments. Exodus chapter 20 verse 2. I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. We're talking about the one that delivered his people out of Egypt. And it says, I show mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. The one that brought his people out of Egypt said, I show mercy to those that love me and keep my commandments. Now Yeshua said in John chapter 14 verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. He's quoting Exodus chapter 20 verse 6. He's proclaiming he's the one that gave the commandments, referring to the commandments that were given at Mount Sinai. From all of these things, now, we should have a clearer understanding that it is Yeshua the Messiah who gave the commandments at Mount Sinai. Let's review what we have learned in this lesson. To begin with, we learned that Israel, the Torah, and the Messiah are all one. You cannot separate them. Therefore, if the Torah is given to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai, you cannot separate the Torah from the Messiah because the Messiah is the one that gives the Torah, and he gives it to his covenant people Israel. When Yeshua made a covenant with Abraham, he is described in Genesis chapter 15 as being a smoking furnace. In Exodus chapter 19, the one that gives the commandments to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai is also described as a smoking furnace. The church, or the literal house of Jacob, that is referred to as the ecclesia in Greek, but the kachal in Hebrew, they were born at Mount Sinai. The church, which is the redeemed house of Jacob, was reborn in Acts chapter 2 with the renewed covenant. So Yeshua is only in covenant relationship with his people. The name of his people is the house of Jacob, both literal and redeemed. Yeshua is the Holy One of Israel. He's the King of Israel. He's the Redeemer of Israel. He's the Savior of Israel. He is also Yahweh of hosts. Yeshua came from Sinai, as we're told in Deuteronomy chapter 33. He did so with ten thousands of saints. They sat at his feet and received of his word. And from his right hand, we're told that a fiery Torah was given to his people. Yeshua gave the Torah. He is the lawgiver. 
it says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 24, that they cast away his Torah. Yeshua is Yahweh, your Elohim, who gave the commandments, as we can see from Deuteronomy in chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, and verse 16. Yeshua is the rock that was in the wilderness with his people. We're explicitly told this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, and cross-referencing Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, with John chapter 14, verse 15, Yeshua said, If you love me, keep my commandments, which is referring to the commandments that were given at Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, they were written upon a heart of stone, so that's why the covenant was broken, and Yeshua has to take out the stony heart and replace it with the heart of flesh. That is the renewed covenant, which likewise is a Torah-based covenant, and that covenant is made unto the same house of Jacob, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. When they came out of Egypt, all the whosoevers that wanted to put the blood of the lamb upon the doorpost and escape the punishments of Egypt were able to do so. They're called in the Bible the mixed multitude, the strangers, the sojourners. They were adopted or grafted in. Likewise, in the renewed covenant, anyone from among the nations, all the whosoevers that want to receive Yeshua as the Messiah and the forgiveness of their sins, they likewise are adopted or grafted in to the covenant that was made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, as we're told in Ephesians chapter 2, they're part of the commonwealth of Israel. So I pray that this message has been insightful unto you and a blessing so that you could see as we're studying the festivals and particularly the events that happened that pertains to the Feast of Shavuot or the Feast of Pentecost that you can understand that it is actually Yeshua who gave the commandments to his people at Mount Sinai. He is the lawgiver. In conclusion, we need to remember that as believers in the Messiah, we are instructed in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, that all who say that they abide in him ought to walk even as he walked. And how did Messiah walk? He kept the commandments of the Heavenly Father. And so if we are to be followers of him, we are to keep the same commandments which the Heavenly Father gave to Yeshua to give to the nation of Israel, and he then gave it to all of those who want to be in covenant relationship with him. Therefore, believers in the Messiah ought to walk even as he walked. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.